Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And today we are so excited to have with us someone that we've been following for actually quite a while. And his name is Chris Wark. Am I saying that right, Chris? I should have asked you this. Yeah, Wark rhymes with pork. Pork. (laughs) Pork. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, you, we've been following you because obviously if you follow our podcast, you know that we've had interest for a long time, um, just personally. And then as a, as a trio, we have had interest in natural healing and understanding that the body was created to heal itself. And then how can we give it the best possible environment so that it can actually do that? And you you have Chris beat, beat cancer. I don't know if some of many of you have probably heard of this before, but Chris offered up his comprehensive plan for healing naturally when he beat cancer. In 2003, at just 26 years old, Chris made the decision after surgery to go against his doctor's advice when he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. I mean, at 26 years old. He opted out of chemotherapy and he chose to use nutrition and natural therapies to heal. And then six years after his diagnosis in 2010, Chris began sharing his story of faith, courage, and determination and his message of hope that chronic diseases like cancer can be prevented and even reversed with a radical transformation of diet and lifestyle. Now, Chris has, is the author of the national bestseller, Chris B. Cancer, which is a comprehensive plan for healing naturally. Then his second book, Beat Cancer Daily, this is 365 days of inspiration, encouragement, and action steps to survive and thrive. Third book, it's going to tell you how to eat, Beat Cancer Kitchen, deliciously simple plant-based anti-cancer recipes. And now he's the creator, which Amy and Kristen are going to talk about this, of the Square One Cancer Coaching Program. Okay, Chris, you've been super busy just sharing what you've learned. And we totally get that because the three of us, as we're learning, we were wanting to share it too, because we want to help people. And I know that uh, I'm going to turn this over to Kristen because she and Amy, I think, I don't know between the two of you, but Kristen being the nurse, I know she was highly intrigued by what you were sharing. So Kristen, why don't you fill our audience in on how you found Chris? I don't even know if I found him or Amy found him first, but either way, what we do is we share. We're like, have you seen him? Have you seen him? So (laughs) we started following you. I mean, it's been years. Um, Our father-in-law got cancer. Was that about when we found him, Amy? Yes. And I remember a friend of ours who had a daughter that was healing from cancer. And the first time I heard your name, she's like, oh yeah, we do the crispy cancer juice. 
And I was like, what is that? You know, and then she's like, we juice like, you know, 20 pounds of carrots a day. And that's kind of like how your name came into my, you know, periphery. And then from there, you just kind of appeared and we've just been following you since. And that's we great. Love, I love it. Yeah, we love everything that you share. So I really just want, I, honestly, I'd love for you to just start, just tell everybody. I think what, what, what we really want to share is we need to follow people like Chris. We need to listen to people like him and not that he is like the God of everything, but you need to be empowered and know that, yes, he's one person. But let me tell you, he has interviewed tons of people and he has talked to tons of people and connected with tons of people who have healed themselves naturally. And some of it, it's a combination of traditional and natural medicine and, and you can have prevention. But I think the most important thing to see is stop being gaslit and be empowered with knowledge. And one of the things I love about him is like, what got you here, like your disease, your illness, is what's gonna keep you there? Or you can make the radical change to get you out of it. You have the power within you. And that's the main point we wanna drive home. Um, so coming from definitely the traditional medicine with me and this over the past few years, of course, I was already waking up to a lot of it and already had that gut feeling. But I think just realizing what we really need to be paying attention to is more the prevention and health and wellness. And this is what we want. And so, Chris, we really want to just hear from you and yes. tell us just how you got here, what you did. And it's it's an amazing story. Like, how did you have the courage to say no to what? Was it 26? Is that right? 26. Yeah, <clears throat> it was 26. And, you know, I was uh, I was having abdominal pain for the better part of a year. Eventually I had a colonoscopy. They found a golf ball sized tumor in my in my colon and uh, biopsied it and confirmed cancer. And uh, I was rushed into treatment. And this is what happens to patients, uh, especially in cancer. Uh, other diseases are, are not necessarily as urgent, but uh, with cancer, it's, it's typically treated as very urgent. We got to rush into surgery, chemo, radiation. And this happens so fast, the patient doesn't have time to read or research or learn, or you know, really think about their life and their choices and, how, you know, how all this happened to them. Right. And I think as humans, when we get into trouble, like it's human nature to, to step back and say like, wait a minute, how did I get into all this trouble? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, but the, the cancer industry moves so fast that you, that the patients don't have time to do that. And they're rushed into and coerced into treatment out of fear and we all saw, and you told me before we started recording, you know, you all kind of came together during 2020 and the, the pandemic. And I think it sounds like you all had that similar revelation of like, we are being coerced out of fear yes. into doing things that don't make sense. Yes. Yep. And that don't even have a scientific rationale or basis behind them. And yet we're being told, no, this is the science, right? Mm -hmm. This, you follow this, this is the science. And if you question the science, now you're a heretic or you're a quack or you're, you're, it's dangerous, right? You're spreading dangerous misinformation for how dare you question, how dare you use common sense, right? Or how mm -hmm. dare you, you think independently, right? Oh, yeah. I love that your podcast is called Just Think because like no one is thinking. That's right. Like, people are just being told what to think and they're not thinking on their own, right? Right. And um, I think that is human nature also is you, we just want to be told something like we just want to be told how it is and like, oh, I'm not to believe yeah. it, you know, and yeah. if you if you're told how it is by your, you know, 
a right wing person, then you believe that. Or if you're told how it is by your left wing person, do you believe that? And you're just like, well, this is what I believe. This is, you know, and um, that that is foolish. I mean, that is, that is foolishness. Like wisdom comes from listening to both sides, examining yes. all explanations, all possibilities, right? And and re using your your own God given logic and reason to think through this situation and these problems and explanations and, and, um, and potential solutions and like, you know, really think it through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you, when you use your own common sense, then, um, you start to see very quickly how information can be used and fear can be used as a weapon against you. And how Mm -hmm. did you, being in that place where you get this diagnosis at such a young age and speaking of wisdom, we don't think of a lot of 26 year olds yeah. having the wisdom to be like, hold on, maybe I don't want to do what my doctor says. Cause didn't we all grow up? Well, not all of us, but I think there is this cultural mantra of my doctor said, my mm-hmm. doctor said, and I think what the average American doesn't realize is that the doctor is largely being informed in many cases by the pharmaceutical industry, which is, a, of course, a for-profit industry with three lobbyists for each members of Congress. I think that's as of 2023, there was three pharma lobbyists for each member of Congress. A lot of people who have a vested interest in keeping the drugs, the chemo, the Western medicine coming. Right. So what made you go, hold on, maybe that's not for me. Yeah. And I talk about this a lot in my, in my book, Chris Beat Cancer, about the, the, the influence, all the corruption in the pharmaceutical, medical and cancer industries and how they've influenced. They really, the whole medical system is controlled by the pharmaceutical industry directly and indirectly. And, um, and it's, it's uh, patients do not benefit uh, in many cases. There are certainly drugs that can be helpful in certain situations, but when we're talking about chronic diseases like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, yeah, there's most people aren't getting well, right? right? They're not getting well. They're just managing their disease and mm-hmm. doctors are not trained in how to help a person get well. They're just trained in how to help a person, person manage their disease so they can get out of bed and get through the day. And, mm-hmm. and that's not what anybody wants, right? No. People who are sick, they want to feel better. They want to recover. Right. But anyway, so back to my story. No, I, you know, I would not consider myself a wise person. I'm wiser now, but at that time, 26, you know, I had the surgery. I, uh, a couple things happened in the hospital. The first thing they served me after the surgery was a sloppy Joe. Oh my gosh. Which, you know, they cut out a third of my large intestine and then gave me a sloppy Joe to eat. And and, and even wow. then I was like, what is this? Like, th- why are you serving prison food <laughs> in the hospital. I'm just thinking of Adam Sandler, sloppy Joe's. Yeah. I mean, this is not healthy food. Yeah. So, so that was a red flag. And then a few days later, I was told I could go home and my surgeon came in and, and I just happened to say, Hey, is there any food I need to avoid? Mm-hmm. Because I had already been thinking, okay, they cut out a third of my large intestine. Everything you eat is going down the digestive tract, you know, yeah. like, I just want to make sure there's any, isn't any food that's going to like screw up the surgery, you know, like is hot sauce going to milk the stitches yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. And, uh, and so, yeah, my question is, is there any, any food I need to avoid? And he said, nah, no, nah, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. 
Wow. I, it's so wild to me. Same thing happened to my dad at 51, had quadruple bypass, otherwise healthy his whole life, quadruple bypass. And he says, what should I eat? What should I not eat? And the doctor literally says, it's genetic. There's not much that you can do about it. Right. And I want to just tell everybody, my dad is diagnosed as the least medicated 23 years later. Those bypasses, thank you, God, still look pristine. He's a marvel to the cardiologist unit at Rex Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. They're like, how are they still so clear? And they thought, it, and let me tell you, he doesn't take statins. He does not take any of the drugs that they suggested. He does the Linus Pauling protocol, which is, among other things, very high dose vitamin C. Knock on wood. Thank you, God. He's doing great. Now, imagine if he'd listened, Chris. Imagine if he'd said, well, it's just I'm a ticking tie bomb. This is going to give out. I got about 10 years left before 10 to 15 before these bypasses go to could have a heart attack at any time. You know, imagine if he had done what they said. Well, he wouldn't be with us today. I'm sure of that. And so that's why thinking outside the box, I saw firsthand how that could make such a difference and not buying into, well, it's in the family, it's in my family. Because as, you, as you're gonna, I'm sure, share more with us, a lot of what we're living with now is a product of our, what we are doing to ourselves or what, how we're That's living. That's right. <clears throat> That's right. And I love that about your dad. And obviously he did some reading and researching and decided to take control of his health. And he wasn't just gonna cross his fingers and hope right. for the best. Like he took action. Like he right. was like, no, I'm gonna change the way I'm living. Yeah. And so- uh, so that, that definitely parallels with my story. I, you know, I was, I had this epiphany that, wow, there's a huge disconnect between the, the health care industry and actual health, right? Mm -hmm. Healthy lifestyle practices and nutrition. And I had a, I had a, you know, a little tiny background of nutrition in that I, I you know, my mom was, was kind of a health nut growing up. And so she would always have like random weird stuff from the health food store, like sprouts and, you know, kefir and wheat germ and stuff like that in the fridge. But, but she wasn't like a vegetarian or a vegan or, you know, she, my first birthday was at a McDonald's, you know, so it was like, I had a normal suburban childhood pretty yes. much, except, except for my mom's kind of a little bit weirdo, you know, supplements and stuff that she would bring home from the health food store. Yeah. Um, but I had exposure to that, you know, I had exposure to like holistic kind of care and chiropractic care as a mm -hmm. teenager. So I kind of understood there was an, there was sort of another, uh, you know, naturopathic world of medicine. I, and I was aware of that. I even, I worked at a wild oats grocery store, which got bought out by Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. So it was a natural grocery store when I was in college, I worked there for, I don't know, a year or two, between less than two years. And so, yeah, I was exposed to that, you know, oh, there's organic food, what that is, you know, and all that. So like I had a, you know, I had just a small amount of knowledge. Like I knew what healthy kind of had an idea what healthy was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing any of it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when you're young, I mean, it's like, I never had any health problems. So I, you know, I wasn't like trying to be healthy. I was a junk food connoisseur. And do you Absolutely. think that's what contributed to you getting stage three colon cancer at 26? Well, or it certainly does contribute, Absolutely. not just to me. It, the, the standard American diet, the Western diet, and that is a diet that is <clears throat> uh, a diet that's very high in animal protein and fat. So meat and dairy. It's a diet that's high in processed food, fast food and junk food. Right. Mm -hmm. And the sugar, high sugar, high salt high oils, like refined 
you know, vegetable oils. And, um, uh, and so all of these, <clears throat> all these foods contribute to chronic disease, which are also known as diseases of affluence. Mm-hmm. They call them Western diseases, diseases of affluence. That means diseases of rich people, yeah. right? Yep. Rich people diseases. These are diseases that rich people used to get hundreds of years ago. Only the kings and the rich would get many of the chronic diseases that we all get now because only the kings and the rich could afford to eat meat three times a day. Right. right? They weren't eating McDonald's, but they were, they were gorging. They were eating, you would say, I got a diet that's a gluttonous diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you just research, like, what is gluttony? What's the origin of gluttony? It's eating animals three times a day. Mm. You know, it wasn't poor people eating too much rice. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he's a real glutton. That guy, <laughs> look at all the rice he ate. You know, it was, no, it was like gorging on animals. And so, um, but that's how we live now, right? We, th- we have giant factory farms. We're eating animal food three times a day, every day. We're eating processed food and junk food that's loaded with artificial flavors, additives, mm-hmm. colors, preservatives, right? Uh, genetically modified foods. Uh, the foods that we eat are sprayed with uh, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. They're using toxic fertilizers. So we have this uh, a, a completely unique situation in that we're getting more cancer than ever before in human wow. history because of all those factors, mm-hmm. right? So it's the diet, it's our lifestyle choices, and it's our environment. So... And, and, you know, you look at, there's just so much great research on this, but 90 plus percent of cancers are attributable to diet, lifestyle, and environment. Only a small percentage of, uh, of cancers are genetic. And even the genetically driven cancers are influenced by diet, lifestyle, and environment. Right. So <clears throat> that's good news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is actually good news because the medical industry really is, um, the, the profitability of the medical industry at large depends on the public believing that we are all powerless victims of disease. Mm. If you believe that disease is random, that nothing you did contributed to your heart disease, your high blood pressure, your high blood sugar, your diabetes, your cancer, your autoimmune disease, nothing you did contributed. It's just bad luck or it's bad genes, right? Mm. Then uh, and this is what most patients are led to believe, right? Yeah. Because uh, they're not told any different. Right. And um, then you are powerless, you are a victim, and your only hope is the drugs or a medical procedure. Yep. Right. right. And doctors are, are indoctrinated into this way of thinking too. So it's not like that they're bad people, but medical school is brutal and they are, you know, this is just like beat into their brains. Yes. And so- you know, that basically you memorize all the body parts, right? And then you memorize all the drugs for the diseases. Well, you memorize all the body parts, then you memorize all the diseases of the body parts, and then you memorize all the drugs for the diseases of the body parts. Like that's med school and it's hard. And, um, and there's, no, there's no talk of really the, the true causes of most chronic diseases, right? There's no education there. And there's certainly no education on nutrition, for reversing chronic disease, lifestyle practice for reversing chronic disease, even though they're all taught that obesity is like the leading cause of many chronic diseases, right? right. It's the second leading cause of cancer. 
Mm-hmm. Obesity. Did you see that, Chris, about, uh, I don't know if you saw Tucker's interview with the Ozempic, the the uh, the guy who was from the farm. I'm sorry, I'm going to forget his name, girls. I don't know if you remember. He was from the, he was, an, he was a pharmaceutical insider. And he's talking about Ozempic being prescribed now. We're on the verge of getting federal money for this drug as a treatment for obesity. They've now got people like Oprah Winfrey say, I now realize it's not personal accountability. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's not personal accountability. It is a brain disease is why I'm fat, right? And, and now we, we now, and you would think America would have woken up since the vast majority did not trust our government or pharma over this vaccine. Now they, they did it first, but we now know that more and more people are saying, Hey, something went really wrong there. And yet we're now going to go take a drug for our obesity rather than doing the hard work it takes to not be obese. But this is what we're up against too, Chris, is this mm-hmm. cultural mentality that I just yeah. want something to fix it for me, right? It's the victim's mentality, mm-hmm. right? It's the victim's mentality. You're not, your choices didn't make you fat, right? It's, there's something wrong with your brain and you need a drug for it, right? It's <laughs> not, it's not you. Your choices didn't create your problem. And it's so dangerous. It's disempowering. It's, it's so dangerous for a person on an individual level to believe that because they really do become helpless and hopeless. Mm-hmm. And if you follow the money, uh, it, it's, it's right there in your face, right? If you can convince people that they're powerless and, but, and, and that your drug is their only hope, then right. you can make a lot of money selling that drug, right? If you convince them that they're, <clears throat> that there is a deadly virus that's going to kill everybody, right? And that your drug is the, is the cure, uh, then people will just line up to get it, especially if it's free. You can get the government to pay for it. And then you can incentivize them with donuts or hamburgers. Mm-hmm. Or in, if that doesn't work, then you can coerce them with uh, force. And uh, you know you will lose your job. You can't see your family. You can't visit relatives in the hospital. And so you can't go to college. So th- that's how that's how a coercion that's how coercion works. We all saw it. Yeah. And the thing is that like I what I'm really encouraged by, I think the silver lining of the pandemic is it's really brought a lot of people together as the three of you who realized um this doesn't make sense, Mm-mm. right? Doesn't doesn't matter who you voted for. This is absurd, mm-hmm. right? That's like right. cancer doesn't care who you voted for. Nope. No. Autoimmune disease doesn't care who you voted for. Nope. Like a virus doesn't care who you voted for. And, um, and both parties are uh, guilty yes. of coercing the public. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Both parties. It started, okay. you know, it started under Trump. He warp speeded this vaccine and used it for political, you know, political points to try to get reelected. Yeah. And then Biden, obviously became president and then he pushed the vaccine out to the world. And then, you know, so they're both complicit. That's right. Uh, And, you know, obviously during Trump lockdowns, during Biden, more lockdowns and all that masking and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, they both really came out. In my opinion, I was disappointed in both of them and both of those administrations. And what you realize is, is, is it isn't really Trump or Biden. Right? right. It's a, it's a massive infrastructure yes. of influence 
right? That the pharmaceutical industry and other people in power, in financial positions of power, have infiltrated and influenced public policy and government policy and um, healthcare policy, all that stuff. And then they, you know, when the timing was right, they just flipped the switch and sort of took over and ran the show. Right. So it didn't matter who the president was. Like you said, um, the silver lining, we talk about it all the time. The silver lining of COVID is that so many people have woken up. We've all, we're all starting to see this corruption and that's really been the blessing of it all. Do you feel like from your perspective, um, are you seeing more and more people coming to you or finding you in the past three years and being more, um, you know, people are starving for truth. They're starving for the, for information that's outside of the narrative. I feel like you have to be seeing a rise in that. And I also want you to just talk about, um, we talk about the corruption of COVID and everything, but tell people about the the corruption just behind the cancer business. Because I think a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, that whole business model and how it works with cancer specifically, but yeah. You feel like you've seen a lot more people <clears throat> waking up and finding you and wanting the information that you're providing. A lot of people are waking up. That is a silver lining like the three of you, but also, I mean, so many doctors, I mean, you look at, I, so a couple things, let me back up. I, I put out a video about Ozempic last year. Ooh. I mean, it's been many months. Really? Kind of, as I saw it picking up steam, I put out this warning video saying, this is dangerous. It increases your risk of cancer. Don't yes. do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's on crispycancer.com and on my YouTube channel and stuff. So, I mean, I was tr- sounding the alarm early because, and it, by the way, it didn't take much. I just had to go to the manufacturer's websites and look at the dis- disclosures and the research and saw there was cancer, elevated cancer risk. I'm right. like, this is an experimental drug. Don't do it. Don't do yeah. it. Um, anyway, but um but yeah, a lot of people have been coming to me since then and, and have woken up. And I even wrote an article several years ago about the fact that at no time in history had so many doctors opposed a drug. Never, never before in history had more doctors opposed one drug than they did for the COVID vaccines. And, you know, tens of thousands of doctors around the world and scientists, yeah. like speaking up and saying, this is new. This is experimental. There's not enough safety testing. Like we shouldn't be doing this. And the early signals in patients are not good, mm-hmm. right? Mm. The, the blood clots, the yeah. uh, excess um, deaths, the elevated cancers, the surge in cancers, like Dr. Ryan Cole, yes. what he was saying. And I interviewed him and stuff. So it's like, <clears throat> that is a silver lining that so many doctors have come together and scientists have come together for yes. truth. Right. And realize like we're in the, we're, we're, we're in a very corrupt system. We didn't realize it, but now we see, because as soon as they were speaking up, right. As soon as they were offering up, Hey, we have a, we have a, you know, a pretty, pretty safe drug protocol for COVID patients that we've, we want to share with the world. We think this is really helpful. Like no silence, deleted, canceled, like, you know, so when you saw that, when I saw that happening, I was like, wow. Yeah, this is going to be a big wake up call for a lot of people. In the medical well, because industry. there's the parallel between that and the cancer industry. Yes. I mean, and so, about, right. Like IV vitamin C and all of the things, you know, all of mm-hmm. these things, even nutrition, simple things that because pharma wouldn't get paid for it, they don't want you to know about it. 
or they're not going to do the studies that they are say that are needed. You know, I really want you to touch on that, too, because even especially like with the food, like when they say I have a um, close family member that has cancer right now, went through just she's got a rare um, appendix cancer. They treated like colorectal cancer. They have not said one thing to her. Yes, she had surgery. She's getting, she's getting the chemo and stuff right now. Um, they've not said one thing to her about diet, exercise, anything. I said, I said, you need to ask about IV vitamin C. And they said there's not enough evidence. Our listeners know that the three of us are passionate about exposing the broken systems within our society, revealing how the quest for money and power has corrupted so many of them so that they no longer serve us. That's right. We talk a lot about our broken medical system, and that includes our broken medical insurance system. We believe that it is time we dismantle the broken systems and work together to rebuild new ones that actually serve us. And that's why we're excited to share an answer we found as an alternative to your traditional insurance plan that charges you exorbitant monthly payments and deductibles, then asks you to pay even more when you get sick, that controls your medical decisions, including what your physician is allowed to do and prescribe and that rakes in billions as corporations at our expense. That's why we love CrowdHealth. We interviewed CEO Andy Schoonover in episode 106, which we encourage you all to check out to learn more. But Andy founded CrowdHealth after experiencing firsthand just how inept and outrageous insurance companies have become. CrowdHealth is not an insurance company, but a platform and a community that empowers you with a crowdfunding tool and a wealth of resources to efficiently manage your healthcare costs. And it's an excellent alternative to health insurance, allowing us to escape the healthcare matrix and put us and our healthcare providers back in charge. Ever since my family and I made the switch to CrowdHealth, not only are we proud to be part of a company with integrity, but we love that we are free from the broken insurance system. We will never be part of that system again. We've had nothing but an A-plus experience. From before we even enrolled, we connected with an advocate who answered our questions. Then upon enrollment, we were immediately assigned a personal advocate who is literally a text away anytime I need her. If you follow them on Instagram and Twitter, you will see not only how much they truly care about each of the members, but also how much money they save us. This is why we encourage all of you to go to joincrowdhealth.org to learn more and to use code JUSTTHINK to get your first three months of membership for just $99 a month. Again, it's joincrowdhealth.org with discount code JUSTTHINK. You can also reference our Just Think the Podcast Substack for more information. And I'm like, if it is, it's one, once again, it's like the early treatment issue with COVID. If it is safe and effective and it has the potential for great benefit, minimal to zero risk of like harm, why not? And, right. and, their, and their evidence to even do the therapy that they're doing with her right now is because they don't know enough about it. So they just treat it like colorectal cancer. I'm like, so you don't know enough about it. So you're just throwing this other shiitake at her because you don't know enough. But then you've got, there's tons of evidence that I can send you. And you think there's not enough evidence to support that. It's like, they're talking out of two heads. I'm like, it it is infuriating. It's infuriating. It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. And by the way, what they also will do will say, well, there's not enough evidence to, to use that, but, uh, but here's the clinical trial. You should sign up for this clinical trial and be a guinea pig for this new drug, right? Right. For which there's no evidence. For which, yeah, there's for which no there evidence. is zero evidence, right? Zero. Right. So 
but that does it, it kind of right it, it brings back to the cancers my cancer story because um you know when when COVID happened i saw the fear mongering and the in the coercion right and i and it was like this is exactly what happens in cancer right mm -hmm. they're doing it on a global scale now but this is what cancer patients deal with every day is this mm -hmm. fear and coercion to do treatments, right? To do treatments you don't understand that may not help you, that may make you worse, that may make your disease worse. It might be helpful in the short term, but not in the long term. Right. Out of fear. And I and I hope I hope your listeners will read my book because I really dedicate m multiple chapters to like dig in and flush this out. Like you will, your mind will be blown when you see all of the corruption and how it all works together in the industry, but. Um, but essentially, I mean, the, the sort of summary of the problem is that uh, <clears throat> patients are rushed in out of fear. The way that drugs are sold to patients is using very vague language like, well, this drug, you know, your type of cancer responds very well to this drug or these drugs. And the patient hears responds and thinks, mm -hmm. oh, well, they think cure. Mm -hmm. Right. Respond means cure or let's say, well, this is a very effective protocol for your type of disease mm -hmm. and they hear effective and they think cure. Right. But effective doesn't mean cure. Respond yeah. does not mean cure in a scientific or clinical setting. Effective means the drug shrunk the tumor. Mm. Doesn't mean it even shrunk it forever. It just means it shrunk it for some period of time. Mm -hmm. Response, same thing. It means the tumor shrunk for some period of time. Mm -hmm. And that, that vague language is used to convince patients to do treatments that, again, may not cure them and in many cases do not cure them. And there's a false sense of hope and security when a tumor gets shrunk, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes tumors go away, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. lesions or tumors or spots go away after treatment or during yeah. treatment. And everybody gets really excited and celebrates and they believe it's working, right? It's working. Mm. But um, what we see long-term is that in many cases, the cancer comes back, right? It comes back and it's more aggressive. Mm. And the paradox of chemotherapy is that chemotherapy drugs will certainly shrink tumors, but they also destroy your immune system. Right. Mm -hmm. And they cause head-to-toe collateral damage, right? Mm -hmm. Brain damage, liver damage, lung damage, kidney damage, right. damage to your digestive tract, peripheral neuropathy. I mean, there's a, I can't even go, I can't even tell you all the side effects. There's too many, right? Mm -hmm. But it's head-to-toe damage, but the most important damage is wiping out your immune system. And so now you have a patient who finishes treatment and they ring the bell and they go celebrate with their family at Chili's, right? Cause I'm cancer free or I'm done with chemo. All right, let's get some margaritas. And, you know, and then three months later or six months later, they go in for the follow-up scan thinking everything's going to be great. Yeah. And Oh, Oh, we're so sorry to tell you, you've got spots on your liver and your bones and in your brain and your lungs. It's spread. Mm. 
oh, how did this happen? It happened because chemotherapy drugs make cancer stem cells more aggressive in many cases mm. and destroy the patient's immune system. And their immune system is what was fighting the cancer in the begin with, to begin with. Mm. Right. So and after chemo it. and, and they, you know, again, there's all this collateral damage your body's trying to heal and, 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 as well. So the, all this inflammation and tissue damage, organ damage, plus your, your, your army of immune cells is wiped out. And typically, like I said, the cancer stem cells that originated the tumor, the real problems, mm -hmm. um, have not been killed by chemo. They've, they've gone, they've hunkered down, they've gone dormant and they've become stronger. And then they're more aggressive when chemo's over and then they spread aggressively, but you don't have immune cells to fight them. Item. And that, that is in a nutshell, the, the problem with chemotherapy. That's mm -hmm. the paradox of chemotherapy. Now, as far as the industry goes, yeah, I mean, there's so many financial incentives to just treat patients with chemo because this is a trillion dollar industry, right? And what are the actual stats? Because I've read somewhere that like, it's like a 2% success rate with chemo, or at least that was in a study. Yeah. yeah. I don't well, know what the updated stats are, but I guess it's just one of those things where it really is a, a misconception of how well chemo does. And I, this is by no means, if anybody's listening, that is taking you taking chemo right now, doing chemo or has done chemo. This is not to make you feel bad. This is just because there is a time and a place for sometimes low dose chemo and radiation and stuff. I do know that. But at the same point in time, you also have to support your immune system while doing it. So you can't just throw it at it like here's my fix and go back to your regular lifestyle. Because like yeah. Chris has said before, you, you are, you know, it's not to make you feel bad, but the reason you got here is for lifestyle choices and health choices. So in order to make a change, you have to be the change. You have to change. But mm -hmm. what are the stats? And I know getting back to the cancer, you know, industry and stuff, like it's almost like the lies that they're, te that they're telling you or they, they want you to believe. Yeah. I mean, all the information coming from the industry, you have to understand that the drug companies, they do their own studies on their own drugs. They don't have third-party oversight. That's right. Right. And some of them claim to, but it's not. There's no real independent oversight. And so the drug companies just, th then they, they do a drug, they convince the FDA to get the drug approved. It costs billions of dollars to get FDA approval. So they've invested multiple billions of dollars, sometimes five to $7 billion just to get a drug approved. And obviously they're, the FDA is pretty easily coerced by the drug companies There's a revolving door of drug company employees and FDA employees. They just go back and forth. They right. all know each other. Yep. And so uh, they get this drug approved and now they can sell it and make tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. And all they have to really do is prove that the drug works just a little tiny bit better than an existing drug. Right. Or they have to prove that it works as well as an existing drug, right? As well as, and maybe with less side effects. And it's so easy to fake these kind of studies. I mean, so it's so easy to fake science. It's unbelievably easy. Yep. And that's what they do. They just falsify data. They exclude certain patients that make the drug look bad, right? People die. They'll exclude them from the study and claim that there was, you know, they, were, they didn't meet the study criteria, you know, all kinds of stuff. So easy to massage data and make 
uh, a drug trial look like it works better than it actually does. And so that, that's one problem. And then you, now they have these drugs on the market and then they use salespeople to go to the doctors and convince the doctors that the dr new drugs are good, right? With <laughs> marketing materials, yeah. sales and marketing materials that the drug company produced, right? Mm. So they're marketing to the doctors to convince the doctors to, to prescribe the drugs to their patients. So it's, it's horrible. It's horribly corrupt. It's just absolutely egregious that our met American medical system is allowed to operate this way. And then you mentioned earlier, there's three pharmaceutical lobbyists roughly for every member of Congress. So they're actively trying to persuade members of Congress to pass laws that are beneficial to the pharmaceutical industry. But I know we're getting close on time. So I want to make sure people understand there is hope here. Okay. The, we got a horrible medical system, right? It's useful in some ways, but for chronic disease, it's, it's very difficult. It's, you know, helpful for getting a diagnosis, helpful for, for a traumatic injury, right? Gunshot wound, broken bones, whatever, <laughs> life-threatening infection. Sure. But um, for chronic disease, there, there is a, an alternate path. And that path is through diet and lifestyle. If you're willing to radically change your diet, as I did, and your lifestyle and your whole, change your whole life, you can empower your body to heal. There are things you can, that you need to stop doing that are contributing to disease. What, what you eat is the big one, first and foremost. Mm. But there are bad habits like smoking, number one cause of cancer. It's cigarettes, right? Tobacco, second leading cause of cancer. Obesity, right? This, this is related to what you eat and whether or not you exercise. Those are your choices. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol major contributor to cancer. Everybody hates to hear it because everybody loves beer and wine and mixed drinks. But if you just realize, wait a second, I've got to figure out what is contributing to my disease. And as you, if you read my book, Chris Beat Cancer, like you will learn, you'll see like, okay, here are all the contributors. These are all things you can remove from your life and you can replace them with things that promote health and healing. So for me, that was a raw food diet, just flooding my body with nutrition from, from fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. uh, exercising every day, increasing my faith, spending time in prayer, forgiving mm -hmm. every person who ever hurt me. Like, do not underestimate the power of forgiveness. Yes. It is so powerful and so good. And so... You know, I'm, I'm having to kind of rush, run through the bullet points, right, for this. But there's a lot more to learn and do uh, in, in regard to those different aspects of health and healing. But ultimately, what we're talking about is taking a holistic approach, right? Looking at the whole body, looking at your whole life, right, your whole situation, and, uh, and evaluating it just in a rational way and asking yourself, okay, what in my life? is contributing to maybe contributing to my disease, right? This may be my fault. It may be my fault. And I'm okay with that. I accept mm -hmm. that I had a part to play in my life and in my health. That's empowering, right? I'm not a victim, right? This may be my fault. That, that's the way I looked at it. So, in, uh, and in that process, it, it just gave me the freedom to, uh, to change my whole life. Mm. And so 
asking, you asked at the very beginning, like, you know, you must've been so courageous or whatever. How did you say no to chemo? Well, the short, the short, shortest version of that story is, you know, when I got out of the hospital after surgery, I prayed about it and I said, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. I don't know what to do. Mm. Right. I need help. And I didn't have peace about it. Right. So I had that internal resistance to chemo that almost every patient has. Right. Because you, everybody knows it's crazy toxic, and your hair falls out, and you and you end up looking kind of like a concentration camp victim if you, mm-hmm. you take chemo long enough. And um, <clears throat> and I prayed about it, and um, two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man in Alaska who's a friend of my dad's, and that book was called God's Way to Ultimate Health by George Malcolmus. And in that book, George tells his story of healing colon cancer with raw food and juicing Wow! with the raw food diet. And so like that was the first book of many that I read uh, written by cancer survivors, people who had healed and, and holistic doctors and practitioners. But George's book was the first one and it just gave me so much hope and encouragement. And I just thought, wow, cancer can be healed. No one told me. Right. I guess this is what I, this is what I need to do. And I, I knew it was an answer to prayer. I just knew it. Like there was no doubt. Yeah. And so that set me on the path, the hardcore healthy path. And from there I found a naturopath and I found an integrative oncologist and, you know, got it sort of assembled a little support system and a team. And of course all the, all the fun and um, juicy details are in crispy cancer, the book, mm-hmm. but, <clears throat> but anyway, that, that's how it, how it all got started and got going. And I just, I had this really difficult decision. Am I going to go down this path or am I going to do conventional, right? Am I going to do chemotherapy? And there was a lot of pressure mm. to do chemo, but, right? Yeah. A lot of pressure from family members, yeah. from obviously from the doctors. And that was really hard. Mm. It was really, really, really hard. And I just you know, I just had to decide I'm going to live or die on my own terms. Mm. And I'm going to trust that God answered. I asked for something that he gave me a path, right? Mm. He gave me an alternate path. And I have to trust that if I take that path, that he's going to see me through, Mm. right? That he's going to lead me through it. It's kind of like, you know, the Israelites in the wilderness, Yeah. right? God takes them out of Egypt which is a bad situation into the wilderness, which was worse, Worse, right? It was, <laughs> it was more difficult. And a lot of them like complained and they actually wanted to go back to Egypt. Right. And, but the goal was not to take them into a worse situation. The goal was to take them to a better place, right? To the promised land, to like the fertile land of Israel. Right. And so I was trusting that God was going to take me through the wilderness and to a better place. Mm. Right. And we, Roman says that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So like I, that was my verse. I was like, God's going to work this for my good, but this is a bigger message than just cancer. You know, sometimes God takes you into the wilderness, right? He takes you, he allows you to go through difficulty one, because it's going to change you. Mm-hmm. It's going to force you to like rely on him in a way you never have before, right? Like really trust mm-hmm. because like you're in trouble. This is hard. Yeah. And 
you know, you can't fix it. And, uh, but ultimately the goal is to, to take you through that difficult season of life to try to change you, to shape you, to mold you, to deepen your relationship with him. And then to, to prepare you for something better, mm-hmm. right? right? For the promised land, for the, the better thing that's coming. And so, you know, I've seen, I've seen that work out in my life so many times, but the cancer journey is like that. Right. And so I was like, okay, here we go. And like I'm going into you. the wilderness. He mm-hmm. also used your whole wilderness experience and then getting to that promised land to impact countless people who have mm-hmm. been in your shoes and have that nudge. There might be a better way and you're getting to help them. And as you said earlier, and doctors now too come into you right now to say, to, to I guess, to learn from your experience as well, yes. because they're realizing they've been caught in the matrix too, as we like to call it. You've just been in this matrix. Well, Chris, I, one of the things we were laughing about before we hopped on was when we were looking at your bio and we were putting it back in Google. And we have to do this with a lot. We've, and, you know, Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Malone, doc, like all the, Dr. Peter McCullough, if you go Google them, you're, you're going to, you're going to find an article that's not favorable in some form or fashion because of oh, course, yeah. Slanders. Discrediting, oh, yeah. discrediting, discrediting these people is what, that's the goal. That's the goal. And, 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 and again, I'll point people back to that Tucker episode with that pharmaceutical rep about Ozempic when he says that is the, they do this on purpose. They go mm-hmm. after people on purpose. And so one of the things they said about you is, well, yeah, Chris got healed of cancer because he had surgery, not because of the quackery. <laughs> That's the word that they use, the quackery that he used. But we all know, uh, Chris, just to clarify, when you do these surgeries, they do recommend treatments in addition to removing the actual part of your colon that they did. So will you just clarify for the listeners who haven't read your book, which we're telling everyone to go read, everyone go read, but will you just clarify what you opted out on that you know has, obviously we know God showed you something, but that has kept you in this remission and kept you healthy all these years? Yes, I was recommended uh, to have chemotherapy after surgery. Okay. Absolutely. Because I was stage three. Mm-hmm. And the doctors, and there was there was no dispute. Everyone knew that that's the protocol because surgery rarely cures stage three colon cancer. Rarely, if ever, that chemotherapy is recommended because they know you have circulating cancer cells, mm-hmm. circulating tumor stem cells in your body. They've left the primary tumor site. They're all over your body looking for places to start form new tumors. And so... <clears throat> So yeah, that was the recommendation for me and strongly recommend, recommended and standard of care. And um, I was told if, if I didn't do chemotherapy, I was insane. I was essentially told if you don't do this, you're going to die. I mean, this is how mm-hmm. much the doctors, how important the doctors that were in my care, not these rando people on the internet that think they know anything about my story. Right. They weren't there. Right. Uh, so... The doctors that were there uh, were adamant that I had to do chemotherapy. Of course. And um, that was at that time, it was 5-FU and fluorocil. I mean, 5-FU is fluorocil. 5-FU and leucovorin, if anybody cares. But those are the drugs they wanted to put me on. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what I said no to. And it wasn't that, like I said, I'm never doing chemo, right? It was just in that moment, in that 
you know, a month after my surgery or um, six weeks ish, I had already started down the healthy path. I was so excited about it. I was hopeful and optimistic and trusting God to lead me. And I wanted to build my body up. Like Mm -hmm. that was the epiphany I had. Like I got to build my body up. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tear it down more. And I knew I was, I was very weak. I was in bad Mm -hmm. physical condition. I was uh, borderline clinically underweight, uh, very, very thin and just weak, you know? And so I I didn't know much about chemo, but I just like had this sense that it was going to destroy me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not like a person starting chemo where they're like 250 pounds. You know what I mean? Like I was a hundred, I was like at that time I was, I was six, I'm six, two. I was six, two then also, Mm -hmm. uh, I was like maybe 140 pounds. Wow. Six two. Like I was, it lost a ton of weight from not eating yeah. uh, from, that. you know, from the, di- the colon cancer and it, yeah. it just having no appetite and feeling bad and then having surgery and not eating after that, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, that, yeah, that's what was recommended. And, and that's what I did not do. And, and, you know, I thought I can always do it later. Like chemo's sure. not going anywhere. I want to try to heal myself holistically and trust God and see where this goes. Yeah. And, um, and I'm just thankful that, you know, after, I mean, you know, I had blood work done every month. I had CT scans every six months for years. And, and then, uh, you know, eventually at the six and a half year mark, I, I just thought, wow, I'm still cancer free. I, like I did it. I can't believe I did it. It's, I should probably share my story. And I think there's other people out there that I could encourage. Absolutely. I could give hope to and encourage and, and not just like that false hope that like, Oh, you can beat this, you know? <laughs> right. right? Like a- but like, yeah, but like, no, I mean, there's a very, there's very specific things I did. Yes. And then I started digging into the science. Cause I didn't, I it, at that time, I was just following the survivors, right? I was like, what do the people do to survive? I'm going to do what they did. Mm -hmm. And the analogy is like, this is what's so funny about the skeptics. How many people have to climb Mount Everest before you believe it's possible? That's right. 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 Really? How many? Yep. Yep. Right. Right. One? (laughs) Is one enough? Right. Well, we've had lots of people climb Mount Everest. Well, there's no scientific study proving it can be done. But people have done it. And we know it can be done because people have done it. Does it, is it still dangerous? Yes. Do people still die trying to climb Mount Everest? Yes, they do. Okay. So this is a dangerous endeavor, but we know it's possible. And so with healing cancer, yeah. Do people die trying? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. Are there perils and pitfalls along the way? Absolutely. Do people go into it with, with the wrong mindset and mentality and unprepared? Mm. Yes. Right. And so like, if you're trying to accomplish something difficult, like you really need to study the people who've already done it That's right. and do what they did. And so that's what I did. And that's what I, you know, I now do. And like as paying it forward is like, I interview people who've healed all types and stages of cancer holistically. Like I've been doing it for, for since 2010. So it's like 14 years to yeah. share those stories so that anyone that wants to learn from, from successful survivors can. 
Yes. Like my story's great. Maybe you think surgery cured me or whatever. I, it's fine. Like whatever you believe about me is fine. <laughs> but I've interviewed so many people who've healed without surgery, without chemo. Mm -hmm. Like their stories are better than mine. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, the truth is that cancer can be healed. Mm -hmm. Healing is possible. There is a proven path that many people have taken. It's difficult, right? But people have successfully done it. That's right. And I mean, you know, is, will there ever be a scientific study proving that cancer can be healed the way I and many others have done? I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. It's, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars to fund a study like that. Yeah. This is, by the way, this is why doctors say, well, there's no evidence that diet is, mm -hmm. right? Because, yeah, it's, it's never been funded properly. And good luck, A, getting the money to fund it, and B, getting permission to fund it, because the cancer industry would push back and say, this is unethical. It's mm -hmm. unethical oh, yeah. to treat patients with right. diet and lifestyle, you right. know, <laughs> unless chemo and radiation and surgery have all failed. Yeah. And like, okay, you can try it now. Right. Okay. Well, this is my question. I, I want to ask you before we, cause I know we're getting close to time, but when you say that, when they're like, you know, you can't do that, you know, it's unethical. What are, what would you say? Somebody's there, they get that shocking diagnosis. Like what would be the questions that you ask the oncologist? Like to me, I want to, I'm like, what is the survival rate? What is your success rate? Like, uh, what would you give as advice to people, you know, to help them make their decision? Like, we're not trying yeah. to tell you what to say or what to think, of course. But I, you know, now that we've like even taken some nosedives into childhood vaccines and everything too, I think it's really important to turn the question back around to the doctors when they tell you, oh no, you have to get cancer, chemo that's a hard road too. And what is the actual success of this? You know, like what are my options? And they're not, they're probably not going to tell you, but what are some like three good questions and then maybe three great action items. I mean, I guess we've already yeah. talked about your diet and nutrition, but like three questions you can ask your oncologist or your doctor. Well, <clears throat> I actually have a download. It's called 20 you questions okay. for you your did. oncologist. Yeah. Okay. 20 questions. It's free on crispycancer.com. There's a okay. link to it on every page of my website. So it's okay. really easy to find that recently. Okay. I need to. Yeah. And so please, you know, if you're a cancer patient or a caregiver, uh, please go download that. Cause I, it's, it's a one hour audio where I'm, I'm actually teaching the questions, explaining the reasoning behind the questions and explaining the answers you may get and what that, what they mean. Mm. And then there's a downloadable question list and it's also, there's a transcript of it. So you can read it if you don't want to listen to me talk, but, um, but a couple just off the top of the, you know, and the, by the way, these are questions that patients don't think to ask. And because they don't ask the right questions, they don't mm -hmm. understand what they're getting into. And they often say yes, when just asking a few questions, right? The right ones, totally changes the conversation and gives you knowledge and wisdom for you to make the best decision for yourself about treatment. So for example, uh, one of the, the, the number one question that people don't ask is, will this treatment cure my cancer? Mm. Mm. Right. Mm. Most patients don't even ask that, right? Mm. Will this cure me? Yes or no. Mm boy, doctors get really uncomfortable with that one, right? <laughs> uh, another important question is, 
Um, how many patients have you treated with my cancer with this drug protocol? Because the drug protocols change. They're constantly changing. Uh, how many of your patients are cancer-free after five years? Mm. Completely cancer-free that you've treated with this protocol for this cancer, my cancer. How many of them are 10 years? How many 10-year survivors do you have? And by the way, yeah, it's going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> and if they give you some number, say, well, that's great. I, may I speak with them? Right? Can, I, can you connect me with three or, or four of these people? I'd really love to talk to them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but yeah, anyway, so those are a couple like pretty that's big it. ones, right? Pretty big treatments. I mean, pretty big questions, um, but there's so many more like, yeah, what is the five-year survival rate of this drug? Mm-hmm. What are the, what's the, the disease-free survival or pro- progression-free survival? You know, what are the side effects? Um, can this drug increase my risk of future cancer? There's, there's a bunch of really important questions. So I hope, I hope your mm-hmm. listeners will download yes, that, sure. that free guide. Hey, I just want to add one more thing before we go. I know we, I know we got to wrap up, but um, you know, so many of us follow you. Um, well, because we probably know somebody who has had cancer or has cancer, but also just be in the spirit <clears throat> of prevention. Um, like the three of us right now are blessed. You know, we, we just want to prevent cancer and you do such a good job at not only telling people how to heal their cancer, but also helping people just yes. not ever get to that place in the first, in the first place. So mm-hmm. like if you had to give us your top five to make your body a terrain that cancer has a hard time surviving in, like what are the top five things you would tell somebody to do to just avoid getting it to, to begin with? Yeah. I mean, it really is simple things, right? It's very simple things. You just have to be willing to do them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's like, so <clears throat> number one is, uh, break your, your, your biggest cancer promoting habits. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that would be smoking is number one tobacco. And number two would be alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so to be the bear, I'm, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news again with alcohol, but they they're saying now the alcohol, this is good. This is good that it's happening, but the alcohol and cancer risk research has really been ramping up over the years. And first they were saying, oh, a couple drinks a day is fine. Mm. And then they're like, wait, no, no. Even one drink a day increases your risk of cancer. Now the latest is one drink a week increases your risk of cancer. You know, now obviously the more you drink, the the higher your risk. But, um, and there's a lot of different cancers that are associated with alcohol consumption. So not smoking and not drinking. Okay. That's a big one. And again, it doesn't mean you could never drink, but like, you know, a couple drinks a month, mm-hmm. that's the safe, probably the safest level, right? Besides not drinking. Okay. Second is eating a predominantly plant-based diet. You don't have to be a vegetarian or a vegan or a, a, adopt some dietary identity, but eating a diet that's rich in fruits and vegetables, nuts and mm-hmm. seeds, herbs and spices, all this wonderful food from the earth that God made for us. Mm-hmm. There are so many incredible anti-cancer compounds in food and fruits and vegetables. Mm. And um, we're just not eating enough of them. Right. You know, yep. We're eating too much meat and dairy, processed food, fast food, and junk food. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can eat whole plant foods, a whole food plant-based diet, 
and cutting way back on animal protein consumption and junk food and all that, the mm. better. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what I encourage the, for, for prevention folks is to eat, you know, 95% plant-based. Mm. And what that means is only eating a serving of animal protein, maybe a few times a week, mm. you know, like three times that's, a week or something. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it's not zero, yeah. right? It's not zero. It's not never. It's ju- it just, it becomes something that you appreciate a lot more mm-hmm. versus um, something that you're doing in excess. And if you look at our ancestors, gosh, there was a brand new study, brand new. I just saw it yesterday um, on <laughs> uh, excava- excavated human remains from 5,000 years ago or something. And what they found is they're basically the archaeologists were like, wow, yeah, we, we thought they would... Um, you know, we thought these paleo, um, you know, remains would uh, indicate, you know, they ate a paleo type diet and, the, and they didn't. They ate a plant-based diet. <laughs> so even these paleo remains, they were 80% plant-based based on all this analysis, right? Predominantly plant food. And they're even saying, yeah, we should probably even change the terminology from hunter-gatherer to gatherer-hunter. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Gatherer hunter is more appropriate because of course humans have always loved animal food, but animals are hard to kill. Yeah. Right. And even back then, like they're hard to catch and kill. Mm -hmm. So, so a tubers, right. Root vegetables and, and whole grains and legumes and fruit. Like these are the staples of the human diet. They always have been until now when we eat, animals three times a day. So anyway, so that's, again, it's a simple thing. It, it really is doable to focus on eating whole, whole plant foods. And there's so many delicious ones. And I've got a cookbook if anybody wants mm-hmm. to, to help getting started. I mean, our, the beet cancer kitchen cookbook, the recipes are amazing. Like you, they're, I they're, get that. Yeah, me too. they're so good. I promise <laughs> they are so good. You will love them and you won't miss not having a turkey breast on it or whatever. I need that. Um, I need that. <laughs> yeah. And so the third big one, so breaking your bad habits, right? The major cancer promoters, eating a whole food plant-based diet. Then the third big one is exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise turns off cancer promoting genes. It turns on genes that fight cancer. Mm-hmm. It, impl- it improves your cardiovascular and lymphatic circulation. You sweat, so you improve detoxification. Mm-hmm. It improves your mood, mm-hmm. makes you feel good and happy. So like, you've got to make exercise a priority in your life. You got to block it off on the calendar, right? right? Get your iPhone, block it off, like figure out this is my exercise time. It's non-negotiable. doesn't matter what time it is. Right before bed is not a good time. But (laughs) any other than that, anytime during the day is good. And any type of exercise is good. Just even if it's just brisk walking, Mm -hmm. right? right? Even if you're just like, I'm walking for 30 minutes every day. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm doing. This is my exercise, brisk walking, brisk walking. So, I mean, obviously I can talk for hours and hours, but they did this great study on breast cancer patients and they yep. found that breast cancer patients who ate an average serving of five fruits and vegetables per day, five servings of fruits and vegetables per day and walked an average of 30 minutes per day had a 50% decreased risk of recurrence after nine years. Wow. Wow. I mean, I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Five servings of fruits and vegetables is so easy. 
You can eat five servings in one meal. Yes. Okay. It's not that it's not five meals for today. It's five servings. Yeah. And a serving is only half a cup of cooked vegetables. Right. Or a full cup of raw fruit or vegetables. So like an apple, that's one serving, you know? So anyway, uh, so that study is so great. And, And there's a ton of studies like that on cancer survival and nutrition and diet. And this really is the most, you know, going full circle back to the beginning. This is what's so infuriating and frustrating about the medical industry is there's so many wonderful studies on nutrition and on how nutrition contributes to prevention and how proper nutrition and exercise contribute to survival, Mm. right? How eating a plant-based diet increases your survival. It reduces your risk of recurrence. Those kind of studies, like that one I said, and with exercise too, there's so many exercise studies with cancer and they all show that exercise improves survival, all of them. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so that's the other big one. And then uh, finally, I would say, you asked for five, but I'm going to give you four because these are really the four pillars. Um, uh, well, no, there are five. There are five. I can, I can break it out. Environment is mm-hmm. another, is the yeah. other big one. So you have to be mindful of like, are you, do you live next to a chemical factory? Do you work in a factory, mm-hmm. right? Are you around cancer causing toxic fumes and chemicals? Mm-hmm. Like get out of there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get, get, a, you got to move your, you may need to move your job or move your house. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and get away from a toxic environment. And that can also be emotionally toxic. Some, you know, like a workplace yeah. that's psychologically toxic or family relationships or dynamics or friendships like toxic relationships, right? Yes. That also falls under that environment um, that can promote a a disease promoting environment, you know, right. In your life. And then, so that's number four. And then the fifth one is really um, dealing with stress, forgiving people who've hurt you, forgiving everyone who's ever hurt you, making amends with people you've hurt, getting right with God, yeah. Um, you know, getting away, getting yourself out of stress. Mm-hmm. Again, it kind of goes back to the stressful job or toxic dysfunctional relationships, like really taking action mm-hmm. to remove stress from your life. Because when you're in a state of chronic stress from all the problems in your life, it suppresses your immune system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I, so, I seeing that emotional trauma can be actually the original root cause and on yes. a lot. And I've actually seen too, with, with a recurrence of cancer, a lot of people addressed everything else, did everything else right, but they didn't address the emotional trauma and the emotions. I was, so, it's so interesting that that is so important. You don't think that it is, but it is. That's yeah. If right. you look up Dr. Hamer's work, they call it German new medicine. Um, there's all this really fascinating research that Dr. Hamer did and, and subsequent people have done on, yeah, on the, the emotional connections to specific cancers and, um, like anger and bitterness and conflict Mm -hmm. and, and loss and different and how they relate to different cancers in the body and different organs. And it's really fascinating. And, uh, I think there's a lot of validity to it. And it's one of those things where you don't want to be dismissive of it. Like that's the worst thing to be like, Oh, you know, yeah. like that to me, it's like, if you have cancer, you want to be open and consider all, you know, mm-hmm. 
all possible contributors, right? That's Leave right. no stone unturned and address yeah. everything that may be contributing to your disease and not just put the blinders on and cross your fingers and go to chemo and hope for the best. Like that is not a strategy for success, no. right? That is like, you're basically rolling the dice yep. and you're hoping that you end up in, in that small percentage of long-term survivors mm -hmm. that did conventional treatment. Yeah. Another way that the numbers are skewed is a lot of people are overtreated. So they're diagnosed with a really early stage cancer that's easily curable, right? Or that may have not ever spread, right? It's like mm -hmm. a stage zero mm -hmm. and they're overtreated. And then the cancer industry, you know, uses that person in their statistics as like, see, right? Look at all the successful survivors, right? Because right? so many people are overtreated. Right. And when you really look at the, the success of the late stage cancers, then you really get a sense of, how effective chemotherapy is like stage three and four cancers, right. chemo, not just chemo, but the whole, you know, the whole basket of, of therapies. Right. And so one other, one other thing that I'll mention, cause you asked me earlier and I, I just want to close the loop on it. There is a study, a famous study. Um, it's called the contribution of cytotoxic chemotherapy to five-year survival in adult malignancies. And it was published in 2004 and as far as I know, it hasn't been, you know, updated and that no one has sort of undertaken to, to do it. And I, w I hope someone will. But what they what these researchers found, Australian researchers found in 2004, and I talk about this in, in my book, in Crispy Cancer in more detail. But yeah, they basically looked at 22 different cancers and they, they studied them and studied treat, the treatment of these cancers to determine how much does chemotherapy contribute to five-year survival, right? Mm -hmm. What percentage does it contribute to five-year survival for all these 22 different cancers? And when they averaged them all together, the answer was 2%. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, chemotherapy contributes 2%. And that, that, that statistic has been kind of skewed and misrepresented a lot on the internet. Like chemotherapy only works 2% of the time. It's like, oh, that's not true. That's not what the study found. But it found that on average across 22 cancers, it only contributed 2% to five-year survival, which is very low. For some of the cancers, it contributed zero, right? Nothing. For others, it contributed a lot more than 2%. Again, it's an average. So like, for example, lymphomas respond very well to chemotherapy. Uh, and the, the five-year survival is like close to 100%, mm. right? You know, 10-year survival is way up there, 90% or something. So Lymphomas do very well. Childhood leukemia, again, 90 plus percent, 10-year survival. Um, testicular cancer, 90 plus percent, 10-year survival. So those are the three categories of cancer that chemo works really well for. But it's the solid tumor cancers, breast, liver, lung, colon, ovarian, cervical, brain. Those types of cancers, um, the, the cancer industry has made very little progress. Mm. in curing them, mm -hmm. right? In total, like permanent remission, 10 year survival and, and onward. So um, it gets really messy when you dig in and look at the statistics and the survival rates and the way that the data can be manipulated. It's very hard to actually get to the truth. Mm -hmm. but, but that was a great study. And um, because- Again, it just sort of, it just kind of shows you like, 
it depends on the type of cancer, but for most solid tumor cancers, yeah, chemotherapy is not helping very much. It's just mm-hmm. not helping very much at all. So and that's, that's a stat that people don't know. That's a that's yeah. a fact that most people don't know. And I think again, it's why we have a platform to have these conversations. Is we want people to know, and then we want them to know what the real reality is behind the Western uh, protocols, which which we're not saying are all bad. We're we're not throwing that baby out with the bathwater. We're saying. There's got to be a balance, too, of where we can question the status quo of Western medicine and get better results. And we're in this weird place where it's almost like they don't want to question anything unless the answer is a better drug, a better Mm -hmm. drug, but not, like you said, taking personal responsibility and then lifestyle changes, which we know are effective and you're living proof of that, Chris. And I hope that everyone is listening will go to Chris's website, chrisbeatcancer.com, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. And That's right. go follow him too, because you're going to get educated. I know Chris and uh, Kristen and Amy are are doing your squares. This is called the squares, square right? One. Square, square one. one. You're doing the square one cancer training right now because they're so fascinated by this. But go follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Follow Chris because you will learn as you go. And to be honest with you guys, that's how we get a lot of, of we're we're led to a lot of different studies and information is by following people like Chris where we can then go look for ourselves. So we're going to have a Substack that has all of Chris's links. It will come out with this episode so that you can go find Chris, learn more from him, start following him. But again, as we said, go read this information for yourself, share it with others who you know might be open to learning and breaking out of this matrix as we all feel like we're a little trapped in. And, and then that way we can all learn and know better and then do better, right? Mm-hmm. Live better live healthier lives. That's the goal. Chris, thank you so much for being on with us today. We love following you and we appreciate you and your story so, so, so much. Yes. yes. Well, Holly, Kristen, Amy, thank you again for having me. This is really fun. I, th- I just appreciate being able to share what I've learned with your audience. And, um, and I, I love what you're doing. I just think it's great. I think it's terrific that you're doing what you're doing. We, like, we need more people, more voices mm-hmm. um, who are committed to uh, discovering the truth, right? To sharing the truth, to learning, to reading, to researching, to thinking, yes. right? And that's the thing is like, science isn't truth, right? Mm-hmm. In, in its purest form, science is the pursuit, pursuit. of truth, but science is always changing, right? right? They're constantly in the scientific community learning new things, that's right? right? Constantly so it's like science is never like the settled truth of a matter, right? right? right. It's the pursuit of knowledge and really to understand the incredible, all the incredible aspects in the, of the universe that God made, you know, right. ultimately that's what all science is doing is it's like discovering, you know, how incredible and uh, infinitely complex our universe is and that there's a creator involved. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, again, I, I thank you. This has been really fun. Thank you so much. We're going to continue to have conversations with you, I'm sure, Chris, especially if you continue to put out more and more content that we are consuming and we want to make sure people know about. But thank you for using your story, your platform, the journey that God's had you on to help all of us get better. We appreciate you so much. All right. Thanks thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. Bye.
Oh, 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 oh,